Welcome to the Law of Starters podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you very much for joining us today. Today, we're lucky to have Chase Nobles. Chase, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Great. Hey, Chase. Uh, you're one of the founders of Cush Tourism, a great Seattle headquartered startup company. And uh, how long have you been in Seattle? Um, so personally, I've been in Seattle for um, four years now. Okay. Yep. Now, maybe closer to four and a half years. I was here for about six months before we started the uh, started the company, Kush, um, just had moved out here for, for whitewater kayaking, of all things. Yeah. A lot of people don't know, but Seattle is um, one of the, the best cities in the world to live in if you're a whitewater kayaker. So that's a crazy story. So where, so where, tell us where you learned this. Where did you learn this sport? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that goes way back uh, when I was doing gymnastics in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Um, competitive gymnastics. I uh, have a great had a great coach Phil Savage. Um, big shout out to him. He, he he had a big impact on just me as a person. But he took me out to the river one day and um, taught me to kayak. And uh, I grew up on the water. My my parents actually had a little canoe outfitter when I was a kid, and we used to take people down the river as a as a kid. You know, as um, kind of a paid outfitter trip. And so I already knew whitewater, and then I I just fell in love whenever I got in my first kayak. And from there. It, uh, continued to fall in love through college while I was at the Air Force Academy. Um, uh, my heart was kind of split because they wanted me to be very rigid on the military on military time. Um, and uh, all I wanted to do every weekend while I was living in Colorado, which was part of the draw right. to go to the Air Force Academy, was kayak every weekend. And um, I decided, at, you know, after two years and really starting to kayak a lot of hard whitewater out there that um, the Air Force Academy wasn't the best fit. And, <laughs> so you uh, did two years? And- I did two years, and uh, I was doing gymnastics there. They, they recruited me for gymnastics, and it was um, it was awesome. I actually really enjoyed my, my time there. Maybe I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't find it to be the best fit, um, although it would have been a different path. But uh, I decided to leave the Air Force Academy to be a uh, professional whitewater kayaker. <laughs> Of all things. <laughs> it's a great story. Right? It takes a lot of guts. I had a friend who was at West Point, and he, he did not like it. He did not think it was the right fit for him. And he's, he, he was, he, I mean, it's hard It's hard when you're in it sure. to say, after you've gone through all the commitment to get in, because it takes so, it takes so, it's so hard to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to get in and then say, well, it's not for me, and back out, that's a hard thing to do. It takes a lot of inner, I think, guts. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um... I mean, because your your life is more or less planned out. You've got a great job when you graduate, uh, making probably seventy five thousand dollars a year right out of school, um, and then a trajectory that's positive and a very valuable degree from from a prestigious school. Right. Um, but uh, I decided to drop out to be a professional whitewater kayaker. <laughs> that's an excellent story. And uh, well, I mean, it's an excellent story, but I mean. Um, you know, my, my how, mom cried how did when it, I told her that I was leaving the Air Force Academy to be a kayaker. So it wasn't like, it wasn't the most positive moment yeah. in my life. Oh, for sure. That's been really hard. I felt like I was doing something um, that was good for me personally, which I'm really, at, at this point, uh, it was probably the best decision I made yeah. so far. So, yeah. Mike, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so are you still whitewater kayaking professionally? or Because I know you're working on the company. So tell us, like, how did that, how did that, how did you go from... Uh, from Air Force Academy to to whitewater uh, kayaking, and then and then on to this next thing. Uh, what, tell us about the journey. Gosh, this is a this is a 
a pretty long story. Well, I'll <laughs> cut it down pretty. Oh, maybe we should. Yeah, before before we dive into it, maybe we should talk a little about what Kush tourism is. And, and uh, you know, so we, so we so, you know, people are probably tuning in. They're probably, we've mentioned it a few times, but I don't think we've, we've explained what it is yet. Yeah, so, I'll give you kind of so, the 30 Tell us about second, the company, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you the 30-second elevator pitch. We started as a tourism business back in 2014, focused on the cannabis industry to promote social change and build the infrastructure necessary for travelers with an interest in cannabis. Um, our website, kushtourism.com, started taking off as a, a search giant in the realm. And our traffic today is, you know, around between ten and 12,000 users a day, unique users a day. Um, and because of that, we started, uh, we, we morphed into an advertising-based business. And we started to produce advertising resources for the retail shops to re- reach their target clientele. Um, and because of that network um, and just how young the industry was, we pivoted once again. Um, we still do the advertising. We still do the tours of the industry. But um, today, the biggest growth potential for our business is this wholesale marketplace that we started. Um, so because of our network of so many retailers, farms started coming to us to help them sell and move their inventory. And that put us in a very unique um, and a very special position in this industry. And that's just continued to scale in Washington and Oregon um, pretty rapidly. No, that's interesting. So the for the marketplace piece is like a, I mean, are you? It's, I assume it's like a, it's a place where you connect the buyers and sellers, but and they transact directly. Do you have to worry? The interesting thing to me about the cannabis industry is, is um, especially the entrepreneurship that goes on there. Is you have to kind of decide where you fit within the ecosystem if you want to pursue a business there. You can go full all in and, and, uh, and you can grow or you can have a, have a dispensary. And at, at that point, you're sort of, um, right on the, on the edge of, of, um, of, you know, the, the law, um, maybe, maybe even past the edge of the law, depending on if you're looking yeah, at it yeah. from a federal standpoint. Um, and yeah. then, you know, but then there's a ton of other like ecosystem type of plays that can exist where you are, you know, providing software to, to cannabis industry, you're providing growing, you know, equipment or a marketplace, something where you're, where you're supporting the, the business, but you're not actually moving product. Um, and it seems like a safer place to be for, for from an entrepreneur standpoint. Um, well, I don't know. Where, where, do, how do you fit into that? Are you, are you, uh, does the marketplace help shield you from liability or, or are you basically full on in, um, in, in the, uh, in the industry? So nothing that we do is regulated by the liquor and control liquor and cannabis board. They changed it. Liquor, liquor and cannabis board. It used to be the liquor control board, but, That's pretty uh, funny. yep. Uh, but outside of that, you know, we are not a 502 regulated company in Washington or an OLCC regulated company in Oregon. Um, or that for that fact, in Colorado, Vegas, Northern California, Alaska, we, we're not a regulated business. Now, we do have to adhere to certain advertising laws, but as a marketplace, I would say we more operate as a Craigslist of wholesale cannabis mm-hmm. um, with a very um, exclusive community of buyers and sellers. Um, and we learned quite a bit um, getting to this point. Uh, you know, we, we had a great plan coming in. And we stuck to that plan, which was tours. Um, and, and the tours are still a great piece of our company. Um, that being said, they're not a huge revenue stream for us. Right. You guys uh, make great maps. Yeah. But we do make great. So we, that's the advertising resources. And um, I would say that the tours was our biggest foot in the door to this industry that we could ask for. Um, you know, so many people have seen us on the news. So many people have. Um, seeing the documentary that includes us on the History Channel, for example. Um, what, but, was the name of, what was the name of that documentary? Do you gosh, I couldn't tell you, okay, but okay. Uh, I, get a, I get a call every uh, 
every once in a while from a long lost family member or whatnot. Hey, I saw you on the History Channel. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my God. Now, now my family, you know, now everybody knows what I do. But, you know, this industry isn't like other industries. It's, um, it's definitely a vice industry. Not that it should be or considered a vice, but it is considered a vice to most of America and most of the world. And so, um, again, you know, telling, telling my mom that I was leaving the Air Force Academy to become a whitewater kayaker was probably equally as hard as telling my parents that I started a cannabis company. Um, and uh, it's been rewarding and, and we've gotten, you know, we've crossed a lot of bridges, but uh, it's, uh, it's unlike any other, any other industry out there, in my, in my opinion. So, but yeah, I, I don't think I answered your question. The wholesale marketplace, we connect buyers and sellers but we stay, stay out of the regulatory framework. And that's a positive thing for our company because it allows us to grow faster and throw caution to the wind without having to worry about government regulators a little bit more, um, as well as uh, scale in multiple states without having to dive too deep into the regulations because we're not taking a cut of the sale and we're not transporting or physically transacting any of that product. And that allows us to learn so much faster than, you know, so many, you know, other companies out there, in my opinion. Yeah. It seems like a great place to be, you know, uh, you know, you're in the space, you're, you're uh, it seems like there, there can maybe only be a couple people that do this. So you can, you get it, you got in early, create kind of a, a network business with a marketplace. Um, you know, if you are the place to go to find this sort of thing, then, you know, maybe it makes it harder for other people to spring up. So, so yeah, kudos to you. It sounds like, sounds like one of the, one of the key opportunities, um, in that, in that, um, in the new field, you know, mm -hmm. that you were able to find, that seems like the hard part for entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that don't want to sell product, um, you know, to find a, a place that they can participate in the growth of this brand new thing without being kind of exposed to the, you know, the possibility of having the federal government, you know, storm their offices, um, it seems like you found a, a really great spot. I shouldn't laugh. Not, not, not funny yeah. because it does happen. Yeah, I know it's not. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and not to say that, that I don't I don't really know the full legalities of, of how what you're doing. You know, to, I wouldn't want to give you, you know, false comfort that that kind of thing could never happen with what you're working on. But it sure seems like you're you're doing the right. You know, well, uh, well Joe, you know, Joe's my attorney. Sitting, what do you think right over there, Joe? Oh, Joe's, yeah. Joe's staying pretty quiet. <laughs> I'm just quietly just you know thinking here but uh but yeah i mean advertising and one thing you did with your blog or your website presence that i thought was really smart and still think is really smart is you basically just created a, it's a place to go to find resources and information about about everything it's like a, a it's a it's just a good resource and i and i've noticed this when i um you know when i started quote unquote blogging or trying to figure that out I, I mean just creating resources for people to find information is a really great way to to uh, I mean, Google Google loves that. Rewards search engines it, yeah. love that, um, and it's no wonder that you guys are at the top of the search en engines when you search for various things. Yeah, the cannabis industry is unique in a, in a lot of ways, but one of them is the lack of opportunity to advertise in traditional ways. Uh, right, you can't buy Google AdWords for terms related to cannabis unless it's for addiction help. I see. So. Um, because we were undercapitalized company, we only started this business with $5,000 and, right. and a dream, and we quickly ran out of money. Right. The only way that we could reach more people was to double down on our content marketing strategy. And that's been wildly rewarding. Um, one, because we get a lot of web traffic from it, but two, because nobody can take that away with us 
by buying the top Google AdWords currently. Right. And so we've been able to maintain uh, somewhat of a dominance out of nowhere, kind of out of left field as a new startup here in Seattle. Right. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Let's talk about let's talk about that a little bit because it's it's pretty applicable to everyone and, and um we've been talking about it a lot in the last few episodes, just kind of generally how people acquire users. Um you've know, got a new you set up the site, you're trying you know, it exists, you've got to figure out how how to get people to show up. Um it sounds like you went with the content um <laughs> content uh, path, you know, possibly because it's you know, uh, you know, you don't have to pay for the advertising. But like so tell me about that strategy and how it worked. Did you write articles uh, and start publishing regularly on the site in order to drive that kind of organic traffic? Or what did that strategy look like? What's what's the way, if somebody wanted to replicate what you did in a different field, you know, what, what would be the path? Well, um, this is definitely a good question for me because this is, I, I, I do focus on the SEO for the company and I do focus on how to generate more users. And um, it's been... It's been a little bit of a ride. So to start out, we were a tour company um, trying to sell tours, and we quickly ran out of money. And my wife said something along the lines of, you need to make a paycheck in a couple of months or find a real job. Well, this was nice of her. She gave you a couple months. Yeah, exactly, which, which was very, very, very generous because um, I, Mike and I, my business partner, co-founder, uh, we met, we started the company, and within probably three months of starting the company, I, I had quit my job, which I was coaching gymnastics at the time, quit my job, and uh, started the business, and I got married. Um, and you bought a house. Right out of the like gate. Shortly thereafter. The, the, yeah, so, uh, no, I didn't buy a house for, for a couple of years. Oh, but, okay, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, but... Um, so I was already on kind of notice with my wife. So the fact that she gave me a couple more months was really generous. But back to the back to the topic of SEO, um, we were out of money, we weren't paying ourselves anything, and we needed to sell more tours. And the best way for me to think of to sell more tours was to uh, reach more people through our website. And the only way I could think of to reach more people through our website that might be interested in buying a tour would be the same people that were interested in finding cannabis friendly lodging. So I created our first page, Cannabis Friendly Lodging in Washington. Huh. And I called every single bed and breakfast in the state of Washington and asked them, do you guys allow cannabis consumption, you know, in your garden? I, it'll almost be like a convincing process of what What do you guys think about cannabis consumption? Almost from like a consumer aspect. Yeah. Or, do you guys allow cannabis consumption? And they say, you know, well, we're thinking about this, that, this, that, and the other and I was like, well, how about, you know, outside in the garden? Is that something that you guys would ever consider? And if they'd say yes, then I'd say, you know, we actually run this website, kushtourism.com, and there's thousands of people out there searching for this kind of information. Would you like to be added as a resource? And um, next thing you know, we've we've got 10 bed and breakfasts or whatever in Washington. And that did was you, a huge, huge did, success for us. Did you find, um, like, did... Were these were those geographically like randomly dispersed, or did you find the friendly the friendly early adopters in particular locations? Uh, Seattle is a much more liberal city than, <laughs> okay. than, than Eastern Washington. Okay, okay, okay. I was, yeah, yeah, I would have thought so, but I didn't know for sure. No, you're you're absolutely right. But because we started ranking for those terms, people that were looking for cannabis friendly lodging, we could also market that we have a cannabis industry tour. Right, and so. That SEO strategy was about as organic as you could get, and um, 
I like to say that even as we've grown to 14, 15 people full time as a company, um, we're still one of the scrappiest startups out there because because we had to learn so many lessons just like that to stay in business. Right. So after six months, uh, Mike and I paid ourselves six hundred bucks a month, um, which was pretty pretty significant. That take you off notice? That with took your me. Spouse? That took me <laughs> off of notice short term. Short term, yeah. Well, um, we shouldn't have been paying ourselves at that point, but uh, it was either pay ourselves or we had to shut the thing down. Right. And because we paid ourselves, it made us pivot towards worshiping the business model. I like to say we had to figure out how to make money and how to stay alive. Otherwise, this was a pipe dream. And uh, not only did I put my own credibility out there for this industry, I also, you know, maybe potentially wasted six, six months to a year of my life trying to make it work. Right. And there's a, when you talk about taking risks of starting a new business, that that was one of the risks. Um, absolutely, especially in this industry, because regardless of you know the city we're in now, so many people do pass judgment on this industry, right. and we're finally starting to get past that point because um, this in- industry, at least in Seattle, at least in Washington, Oregon, Colorado is very much legitimized because um, we've seen a lot of success as well. Right. But it wasn't, definitely wasn't easy getting, getting here at all. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that is one thing I think um, I, I remember. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, the, the sort of, it's, it's a risk. It's a, I guess you call it a, I mean, I remember talking to somebody early on before, I mean, several years before marijuana was legalized in Washington state. And, and uh, I mean, the, person was going into the business and they were saying, well, one of the risks is just reputational risk. Oh, absolutely. People are just going to, if this doesn't pan out, people are going to think I'm, think something less of me or something perhaps. I don't don't know. You got to keep in mind, I was coaching kids gymnastics and a a boys team. Right. Um, And as a coach, you are also very much a role model. Right. Um, But it's, yeah, that's it's been definitely a um, a challenge to maintain that reputation, like you're right. talking about, while starting a business in this industry. It's it's got its risk, but where there's risk, there's reward. And yeah. Fortunately, we've been able to um, prove prove any of the doubters wrong. That sure. This was a, a good idea, and you know has a positive impact on the industry. What we do. Yeah. How how is uh, how is public sentiment generally? I mean, you're probably more in touch with it. On one hand, you you know you you kind of uh, well. I, I, I'm just curious to know if it seems like every year more and more people seem to be in favor of legalization and that the numbers seem to be shifting and, and more and more states keep keep ticking over. Um, yeah. But then you also have this new administration and I just recently heard something like maybe even just this morning about how Jeff Sessions was asking for permission or planning to possibly raid like dispensaries or, or um, medical marijuana in some states. And so I'm curious to know, like, you know what's the what's the landscape look like politically for for legalization right now? Is is it my, my impression is it's a pretty bipartisan thing that that there's plenty of Republicans and Democrats that both want to see it legalized. What, what do you think? I mean, will will pressure from if the if the current administration starts taking action against cannabis, do you think there'll be a big pushback? And do you think that from, even from their own base or or not? Well, I think um, to answer that question, you have to zoom out to ten thousand feet. 30,000 feet, somewhere in that realm, and look at it from state economy standpoints. Uh, the, the the state economy of Colorado um, is doing well. 
Uh, and a lot of that is attributed to cannabis. And where we're at as a tourism business um, in the advertising aspect, um, so many people travel to Colorado to purchase cannabis. And it's built a massive industry in Colorado, in Washington, in Oregon. Um, and not only has it built a, a large industry where, you know, every single industry, um, um, every single business in that industry is going to go up to bat. You've also got um, investors from large companies, you know, not, not publicly, but there's a lot of people from Microsoft, from Amazon that, that made their money that way that have invested in the cannabis industry here in Washington. Um, there's a lot of people that have made their money through Boeing or uh, Starbucks that have invested their money into, into cannabis. And that's a positive thing because they're going to go up to bat for the industry. Not only are yeah, it seems like yeah, one not of the only things I was the thinking was and the, 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 the industry itself going to go up to bat, but the state government's built a reliance on the tax dollars. And that's a very positive thing because if they start to, if the federal government starts to try to have an impact on the industry here, um, they're not just picking on a small medical marijuana industry. They're picking on a, an entire state's economy. And that's going to, you're going to see some teeth if, if that's, if that's the case. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking that that would, you know, one of the things that happens when when we make uh, marijuana legal in our state and Colorado is you get these kind of uh, basically at, at now at, at that point, there's something for people to lose. Right. So like so like nobody was ever really um, pushing hard for marijuana to be legalized because there wasn't like an industry there. And there were a lot of existing industries like alcohol and tobacco that might not have wanted to see it happen because it's competition. And they're just like pharmaceutical companies, right? I mean, so much money uh, opposed to it. So now that, now that there's an industry there, at least there's some counter to that where there's some, some lobby lobbyists and people that can pressure the government in the other way. Cause we've kind of learned, it seems like, you know, you, you sort of need to have that big money behind you if you want anything to happen uh, these days. Um, so yeah, so I mean, maybe that's like, maybe that's a real positive change for that industry. Just having those, having some money and having enough people with something to lose, um, to, to go up to bat against people trying to take that away from them. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I sure hope so. You know, there always has been that risk, you know, the federal legalization has always been, a, uh, uh, you know, at this point, you know, not on the horizon, um, at least for the next couple of years with, you know, potentially with this administration, but also with this administration um, and a potential threat of a crackdown actually gets, um, could potentially push positive legislation for cannabis protections. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so if the threat of a crackdown pushes positive legislation to protect the cannabis industry, um, that negative could be turned into a positive. And that's, that's what a lot of people are hoping for is that, state uh, representatives will go go to bat for their states, for their constituents, and start taking some of these proposed legislation, proposed bills, and actually putting more weight behind them. Um, so that, that, that's a little bit of a hope on our end. Yeah, there's also the, you know, the people who, who go to various states for the tourism aspect of it, of it will go back home, and they'll, they'll vote in their states to legalize, I think, is what we'll slowly see and that was our original mission was to promote social change and you're exactly right you know when somebody comes out here and they take a tour and they see the industry and they fall in love and they realize that it's no worse and probably more healthy of a habit than alcohol they take that legitimate industry where everybody's happy paying their taxes and um, building small businesses 
they take that back to their home state and just promote it. They want it to happen in Tennessee, in, in Alabama, in Georgia. You know, you see one of those southern states legalize recreational marijuana, it's going to be a game changer. Are there initiative pro- – I mean, one thing we have we had going for us in Washington State and I think a lot of the other western – you know, Western states is we have initiatives in, in our in our states, but a lot of the East Coast states don't have initiatives. So it's kind of unfortunate because the 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 masses can't rise up like they can here. <laughs> I think we're, I think the I think the only state is like uh, is it it might be New Hampshire or Vermont that can't do initiatives. Oh, really? Understanding. So um, let's so see. So your home state, you've had some initiatives in, in, in Tennessee. There's been some statewide initiatives. So, uh, so they, uh, well, it starts at the city level because okay. Tennessee is quite conservative. So Nashville pushed a decriminalization bill. Oh, they did? This is how it typically happens. Okay. Yeah, so Nashville pushed a decriminalization bill. And then the state of Tennessee came and smacked that down and said, no, you guys can't do that. Yeah. But then you get into a same kind of argument of states versus federal government. Right. Um, so the fact that that fight is even happening is a positive thing because there's a very obvious step-by-step procedure. It goes decriminalization, legalization of medical marijuana, legalization of recreational marijuana. Because it's once you do one, it's obvious that the, the sky didn't fall and that it wasn't bad for the economy. And actually you see positive uh, impacts with overdoses on opiates, for example. And then the argument's there and people can't deny it because it's right in front of them. Um, it tends to happen that way. It did in Washington. It did in uh, California, Colorado. And then recently we had California, last November, California legalized recreational November, uh, recreational marijuana, Nevada legalized, Maine legalized, Massachusetts legalized, and Arizona was so close. Mm-hmm. And um, California, for example, is the sixth largest economy in the world. Right. That's that is a massive, massive impact on the yeah, U.S. Yeah, I wonder what their tax collections will be, because yeah. I mean, our, our tax collections are, I don't know, hundreds of millions, I think. Yeah. I mean, you think California, may, maybe even like a billion dollars or whatever? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know either, but it's going to be massive. It's not going to be an insignificant amount of money. It's going to be enough to make people pause and reconsider, just because everything costs so much. Government just costs so much. Yeah. We there's... don't have enough money for what we want. Oh, agreed. We never yeah. have enough money for what we want. I mean, the legislators in, in Washington depend on the tax dollars in, from cannabis in a lot of ways. That's why um, it would be unrealistic maybe to expect a drop in taxes this year um, through this legislative session in Washington because they depend on those tax dollars so heavily, right. which isn't a good thing because the higher the taxes, the more expensive the cannabis, and the more expensive the cannabis, the more the black market will flourish. Right. But um, you got to start somewhere, and we started here, and it's 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 working. Um, but in California, as far as how big that opportunity is from a business perspective, you know, there's estimates that the LA market is the the size of the entire market of Colorado. Huh. So how? What's your strategy? So what's your? I mean, your strategy is the same in California as it is up here, essentially, or? Um, yeah, other? we have. So much of a presence as a media company right? that because of that presence we, and our strategy, we build an advertising base. And because we build an advertising base and we build trust with you know, large dispensaries and retail shops, right. um, launching the marketplace isn't a challenge because the farms need to touch that, that community of retailers right. and dispensaries. So it's a, very much a step-by-step. It can be capital-intensive. But it's a step by step. 
let's talk about that. Did you raise money? And if so, did you find it? What was that process like? Are, is there a group of investors in Seattle that's specifically interested in this that you were able to tap into? Um, there's a lot yeah, assuming, of- Assuming the answer is yes. Assuming, assuming you raised money or have tried. Uh, so, yeah. So we went two and a half years without raising a dime. And um, we had to be really scrappy to do that. So what was fortunate about that was by the time that we did raise money, um, we had a, a very fair valuation. Um, and that was important because our growth strategy is um, extremely aggressive. We are going for market share right now. And it takes capital to do that. Um, and, you know, because there's me and my co-founder and uh, our CTO, who is also, uh, I would call him a co-founder to an extent, he's, we, we can't dilute too much without, you know, losing um, yeah. quite a bit of the company. And especially if we have these capital needs. Now, you asked about how easy it was to raise capital. Um, the first down re- round we did, we, we found $70,000 at a fair valuation. And that was important because we had just started the marketplace. And the marketplace started almost by accident when a farm asked us if we could help them sell some of their product. And we did. And it was very successful for them. They sold out of their inventory. And when we realized that, we realized we were spread too thin. We need to raise some money. But if we raise some money, we'll put all that money into the marketplace idea and try to prove three concepts. We proved those three concepts by raising $70,000 to do it. And um, now we're back out there doing the fundraising hustle, as Joe is very familiar with as our attorney. But it's not easy in this industry. Um, Typically, big funds don't want to invest in cannabis, and it has to be individual angels. Um, And the big funds don't want to invest in cannabis specifically because of the clauses associated with their funds and how closely we're tied to this industry that uh, it is federally illegal. Uh, So there's uh, countless challenges, not only to raising capital, but also to getting insurance or to um, getting a credit card processor or even a bank or um, even getting in the door to get a meeting with so-and-so because they're um, a devout Christian that, Mm -hmm. you know, you wouldn't expect to support cannabis. So it's, it's definitely what been a long, challenging ride, but we're, we're happy where we are, where we are now, and um, we're seeing success with this round, at least. That's terrific. Fantastic. Well, uh, well, this has been really, really interesting. How can people find out more? Um, what you, it sounds like you have multiple places they can go. Kush Tourism. Is it kushtourism.com? What's the, what's the website? Uh, so we have a couple. Um, I would say that we're a holdings company. Joe, Joe helped us in that realm. So we have the tour company, with it, which is Kush Tourism. Uh, but it's also kushtourism.com is a very large resource website um, globally for cannabis information. And then we have kushguide.com, which is our web app. We have kushguide, the mobile app. And then we have market.kushguide.com, which is our marketplace. And then finally, we recently acquired uh, High Above Seattle, which is a product review site. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a holdings company. But like I said, market share and the, the more revenue streams we have in, the more uh, diversified the businesses and the more security that we, we find in that. So. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chase Nobles for being on the show. Um, Joe, any parting thoughts? Just thanks a lot for being on the show. Great story. Love what you're doing. And uh, we're all <laughs> I'll tell the kayaking story <laughs> next time. <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. these stories. It sounds like, you know, you, 
you're a guy who knows how to make hard decisions. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, not everyone's good at that. Not everyone's good at, I mean, frankly, a lot of people will shy away from it. So that's good. I'm, I'm really, I mean, that's, that's what it takes. I well, think. I like to say that my co-founder and I have super thick skin. Um, my, when we started hiring people, yeah. um, cause it was Mike and I and our, and our business partner, Matt, our CTO. Yeah. Um, it was us for a while. Right. And we started hiring people and my wife said, uh, Chase, you, uh, you and Mike need to change the way that you communicate. I was like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she was you like, you can't talk to employees the way that you guys talk to each other. It just will not fly. And I was like, okay, but we have to communicate so clearly and openly about what is and isn't correct that it comes off as uh, aggressive, but we have to be aggressive because this industry is aggressive. It's growing so fast, and if we don't make the right decisions, um, we'll be two steps behind. But right now, I feel like we're four steps ahead. So, yeah. That's excellent. Nice. Great. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, everyone else, for listening. We'll see you all next week. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, everybody.